We will continue our series on the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. And while you're turning there, uh, I'll remind us that in chapter 18, Elijah had just witnessed the power of God in a mighty display. He had witnessed the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who was the female deity to Baal. 850 screaming out of their minds, dancing some wild cultic dance, crying out to Baal for hours to answer and to come and bring fire and burn up the sacrifice. And there was no response, no answer, nothing whatsoever. And then Elijah steps forward. He repairs the altar of the Lord. He takes those 12 stones that represent the uh, 12 tribes of Israel to show reverence to God, worship to God, and he prays a very simple prayer. God, show these people who is God. And the fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. It burns up the stones, the wood, the sacrifice, the dirt, the soil. It licks up the water out of the trench. And the people holler, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What a display of power. Now you would think after that kind of display of God's power, you would never doubt God again, right? Why should you ever doubt God again when you've witnessed something like that? And yet what we see here in chapter 19 is we see a moment of crisis in the life of Elijah in his faith in the Lord. A moment of crisis. Unless we get too hard on Elijah, what about ourselves? What about when we face a moment of crisis? I think over the years of ministry and people that I've seen go through crises and walk through deep water. And what was it that carried them through was their faith in God. I think about a lady that was in our church, our small church in Ohio that I grew up in that my dad pastored. She was 41 years of age and she was struck with leukemia. Seven or eight children in the home. And six months later, she died, leaving that dad with all those children. Talk about a moment of crisis. That's a moment of crisis. I think about a moment of crisis in my own life when, and I've shared this many times, where I thought I was gonna be the pastor of the church in Virginia. And it was a moment of crisis because the door was slammed in my face and my heart was shattered in pieces. It was a moment of crisis in my life. What am I going to really believe about God? And maybe your moment of crisis is different. Maybe you've wanted to have children and God hasn't allowed you to have children or you've experienced an untimely death or an illness or a child that's walked away from the Lord and is still away from the Lord. I know a family that has gone through the crisis of having a son not only leave, but they don't even know where he is today, and they haven't heard from him in years. That's a moment of crisis. I think about what happened in Florida this week with the 17 shattered deaths, senseless deaths in our broken world and the crisis that that has brought to that community and many, many families 
who I'm sure are still crying buckets of tears and will for weeks and months to come. We need to pray for that community and those people. But what are we going to do when we come to a moment of crisis in our own lives? Do we have a foundation on which to build our lives and rebuild our lives? Because when we get to chapter 19, we see the crisis that happens. Ahab tells Jezebel about all that happened on Mount Carmel and what Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree or a juniper tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Ahab comes back and he starts moaning to his wicked wife Jezebel about what happened on Mount Carmel. But what I want you to notice is they breathe out a threat to Elijah that they're going to take his life within 24 hours. Jezebel is a butcher. She likes to shed blood. And she really wasted her time and opportunity having him executed by even bother to send a messenger. I'm not sure why she did that rather than a mercenary, but she did. But there's some lessons that we need to learn when we face a moment of crisis in our life. Most of us probably have not had a price on our head like that to say your life is going to be taken in 24 hours, but we have faced other crises in our lives. And it's some things that we need to be reminded of in the midst of these crises. The first lesson is this. After major spiritual victories, we can expect Satan to attack. If you are making spiritual strides in your walk with the Lord, you better expect Satan to attack you. Back when we had the baptisms here a number of months ago, I said we need to pray for these people because when you take a step like that and you take a stand for Christ and you step out and give testimony for the Lord, you will be attacked in some way, shape, or form. And it may not be the form that you can possibly think or imagine, but it will come. It came to Elijah. He had this great spiritual victory where the fire came, and now he's under spiritual attack from the enemy. Why? Because there was a victory over Satan. And whenever there's a victory over Satan, you can be sure he is not going to lay down and take it easy. We have to pick up our spiritual armor, and we have to wear it. Satan was defeated. 
He will retaliate and look for ways to attack. There's never a time in the battle against evil when it's safe or wise to take off our spiritual armor in the battle for truth. Right after Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, it says, the voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then what happened in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus faced three major spiritual attacks and temptations from the enemy. Why? He had just been baptized. A spiritual victory, a spiritual high, and Satan comes and attacks him. He doesn't eat for 40 days and turn these stones into bread. (laughs) That's the way the enemy works. He will attack again and again and again. And that's why it's crucial, like what Ted prayed in his prayer, that we have church every day. Every day, because we don't know when the attack's going to happen. And we need it in our lives. Now you would think that Elijah would have been honored for his courageous stand against the prophets of Baal and the false gods they worshipped, but instead he's being hunted like a powerless little lamb. The one thing I want you to notice here is what Ahab communicated, because I don't think he really communicated the whole story. It says he told everything, but I'm not really sure he did. You know how it is when you witness something and you hear somebody share a story, and they leave out half the details? That's what I really think Ahab did. I think he left out half the details to Jezebel because what he says here, what did he focus on? He focused on how Elijah had killed the prophets with the sword. We hear nothing from Ahab about the power of God falling and consuming the sacrifice and the people crying out, he is God. Why wasn't that shared with Jezebel? because he wanted to enrage her. And she became infuriated and her blood boiled. And that's why she was gonna take his life out. We can expect spiritual attack. Let me give you a couple other examples in scripture. The healing of the lame man when he was placed at the temple gate to beg for money. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he walks. That's in Acts chapter 3. A miracle takes place. But what happens in Acts chapter 4? Peter and John, who were there to witness that miracle, are now put in jail. And then they're brought out and questioned. And then they're beaten and told not to speak in the name of Jesus again. That is spiritual attack that happens. We look in Acts chapter 5. The apostles perform miracles of healing the sick and delivered those who had been tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed, it says. And later in Acts chapter 5, they were put in jail and they were beaten. I mean, spiritual attack, after God had brought spiritual victory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was caught up to the third heaven, experienced special revelation from God, and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, And then he identifies what that thorn is, and he says it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to torment him. You see, Satan doesn't leave Christians alone. If you are determined to live for the Lord, expect spiritual attack. I shared with our leadership back in our January meeting that we, in our family, have felt spiritual attack since we have started Celebrate Recovery. 
Why? Because the devil doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. We need to pray for one another. When we, we engage in that kind of ministry and these kinds of ministries, Satan does not like it. We have to bind together and pray together and encourage one another in the work of the Lord. I think about David who defeated Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, the champion warrior of the Philistines. And what happens in chapter 18? Saul throws a spear at him and tries to kill him. Spiritual attack. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The godly can expect the wicked to become angry, oppose them, ridicule them, belittle them, mock them, try to injure them and destroy them. There are times when even godly pastors are attacked by people in their own congregations. Especially when they preach against something that someone is involved in and they don't like it. So the report that Ahab gives Jezebel is distorted at best. He focuses on Elijah killing the prophets and he totally rejects the power of God. That is scary when he does that. This brings us to the second lesson. The second lesson is this, when we reject the Lord as God in our lives, we develop a hardness in our hearts. That's what happened with Ahab and Jezebel. Instead of them bowing their knees saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, they reject the witness of God and the power of God and they develop a hard heart. That's why they want to kill him. Now you may say, well, I don't reject the Lord. You may reject him in a passive way. Your rejection of the Lord may be that you just don't open the scriptures at all during the week. That's a form of rejection. You may not pray and ask God's will for your life. That's a form of rejection of what God wants to do in your life because you're in control. You want your agenda, your plans, your dreams. Where is God's agenda and God's plans? In God's dreams, because I'll tell you what, he'll bring something in your life to get your attention. We can reject the Lord in many, many ways in our lives. Jezebel had a zeal for her cause in promoting Baal worship. She was a Baal-loving, Jehovah-hating God. Our response to the Lord when he reveals himself to us says a lot about the tenderness or hardness of our heart. In Romans 1.28, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, which is what Ahab and Jezebel did, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. We can see in the Old Testament another story when Pharaoh hardened his heart against God when God brought the plagues on Egypt and Pharaoh hardened his heart. It tells us in Exodus 8.15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. That's what Ahab and Jezebel did. And when we harden our hearts, do you know what God does? He hardens them too. Because he lets us have our way. Look in Exodus 9, 12. But the Lord, 
hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and then God turned around and hardened it as well. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. That's exactly what we see in Ahab and Jezebel. And the longer a person rejects Christ, the less likely they are to come to saving faith. That's why you see less and less older adults coming to Christ because they've been hardening their heart against the Lord for years. And that's why even child evangelism will tell you most kids between the ages of 4 and 14 will give their life to Christ because after that their heart can become harder and harder and harder. We witness that, don't we? And so we need to reach our children with the gospel. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but it sure seems the numbers sure go down. If you're fighting against the revelation of God today, I want to encourage you to stop before your persistent rebellion takes you down a path you never expected and brings you to utter heartache and ruin. Please hear my voice. If you're a teenager here today and you're going through the motions of Christianity and you have no reality of Christ, you need to repent of your sin, fall on your face before God and ask him for grace and mercy. If you're an adult, a grandparent, doesn't matter who you are, we need to fall on our face before God and repent before this God and say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And repent. The third lesson I want to bring us to this morning is that even godly people face discouragement and depression. You may be here today and you can be a godly person, but you can face discouragement and depression because Elijah did and he was a godly man. He loved the Lord. God used him in miraculous ways more than many other people in Scripture. God used Elijah. And yet he faced incredible (laughs) discouragement and depression. It means that we're all subject to discouragement and depression. Satan is not concerned about the people he has already defeated. His biggest targets are those who are on the front lines for God. That's his biggest target. Those who are calling people out of their sin and into righteousness and a right relationship with God, that's the ones he's going to attack. There are several other godly men who have been discouraged. Jonah, Peter, Moses, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon faced great battles of discouragement and depression. William Carey was the father of modern missions. He took the gospel to India in the 1700s. His wife went with him kicking and screaming. He goes there and he begins to translate the Bible in different languages. And his wife becomes mentally insane as it were. She had a total mental and nervous breakdown. Could not care for him and the kids at all. Fourteen years later, she died. Never recovered. And yet he continued the work of God. And then he had his work stored, his manuscripts stored in a building and it all burned up. All the manuscripts and hours and hours and hours of work that he had done and he started over. Why? Because he was concerned about the souls of Indians. But their spiritual attack when we live for the Lord. And I'm sure he had to fight depression and discouragement. 
His son Peter died of dysentery. One of the first missionaries who came to help him in the work named John Fountain, he also died of dysentery. He faced incredible hardship. So what happens when we go through discouragement and depression? I think there are some things that happen that we need to be aware of. We see this in the life of Elijah, and we need to see it and read it in our own lives as well to help us identify it and then what we can do about it. The first thing is he was physically fatigued. He was spent physically. Why? Well, he had just went through that incredible emotional experience on top of Mount Carmel with all the false prophets, but he also ran... (laughs) The end of chapter 18 tells us he ran all the way to Jezreel, which would have been 15 or 20 miles. And even though God gave him the power to do it, he still spent physical energy. So he was physically fatigued. He was wiped out. When we get physically wiped out, it can take a toll on us mentally. Leon Wood said a sick body tends toward melancholy and depression, which made... Elijah, a prime candidate for pessimism and discouragement. There are some people who put all their emphasis on the physical to the neglect of the spiritual. But sometimes the spiritual people put no emphasis on the physical. And that's not good either. God wants us to take care of ourselves. He was also emotionally exhausted. Whenever we're involved in an emotionally charged situation, our reservoir can run low. It can be like a big pitcher of water, and you just kind of pour it out on the ground, and that pitcher, after a while, if you keep pouring out emotion, 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 you get drained, and there's nothing left in the reservoir. That's where Elijah was. He had been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out the word of the Lord over and over. He was emotionally spent And so he needed some reserve. Spurgeon said, we cannot have great exhilaration without having some measure of depression afterwards. Thirdly, he was spiritually drained. His prayer was self-centered. That's why he said, God, take my life. He began to minimize what God had done on Mount Carmel and he began to maximize his depression. He minimized his victory and he maximized his discouragement. So what are some things we can do to help us when we face discouragement and depression? I think here's some things we can do. Number one, rest. (laughs) Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Anybody for naps? (laughs) You might need a nap this afternoon. It might be one of the best things you can do. I love Sunday afternoons. I like to get in the lazy boy, kick that thing back, have my shoes off, and relax. Because we can run ourselves ragged. And somehow we think that we're more valuable by the more things we can squeeze into our schedule and tell people, you know, I did these 20 things in the last 12 days. And it's like, good for you. (laughs) Um, We need rest. We can overexpend ourselves. And we need rest. Find a solitary place that is quiet and peaceful that removes the distractions so your body and mind can unwind. That's what Elijah did. Did he not go to a place? It says he went off by himself. 
He says he was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert to get alone and quiet. And God was able to minister to him there. You see, the Bible says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. You don't have to always have activity. Be still and rest. It's so vital that we need it to recharge our batteries. Psalm 62 also tells us, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Rest is important. And for those who are type A personalities, you have a hard time resting. You need to rest. It's important. It can impact you spiritually. Secondly, and this one's going to touch, this is going to really mess up the shine on my shoes. I don't know about yours. Nutrition. I like pizza, you know, all these things. And sometimes we just don't eat well, right? I mean, we don't eat well. And believe it or not, nutrition impacts our health. I do take vitamins every day to help with my poor eating. Need to eat better. But nutrition does have an impact because you take B6 and B12 and C vitamins and D. All those vitamins impact the chemicals in our body. And it's important. What did uh, God do for Elijah? He made him some angel food cake. <laughs> I'm sure it was nutritious. God gave him what he needed and it gave him strength, the Bible says. Nutrition is important. Many people can suffer with symptoms of depression because they have deficiencies in vitamins. And it impacts the chemicals in our body, including our brain. Foods rich in vitamins and minerals can help us feel better. Like I said, the shine on my shoes is wearing. Thirdly, exercise. Boy, this is another one that hits home. <laughs> exercise, not this kind. <laughs> We're doing this all the time. But exercise, even 15 minutes a day can make a difference in our lives and not this kind of exercise where we're using the remote say so, you know I switch hands once in a while no I'm talking about exercise is important God gave us bodies to take care of and the Bible does say bodily exercise profits a little right it's scriptural exercise is important and we need to do it it can improve our moods physical activity can make us feel better and fellowship Staying connected with others can lift your spirit. Others can speak truth into your life. Because oftentimes what happens when people get discouraged and depressed is they separate themselves from everybody that can help them. Well, I'm just going to have my own little pity party because if you come in, I can't have my pity party. So I need you to be away from me so I can have my little pity party. But yet the one another's of Scripture tell us we need to pray for one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Encourage one another. All the one another's of Scripture. The walk with God is a corporate walk. It's a corporate walk. 
And even when it talks about the spiritual armor in Scripture, it is a corporate idea because the shields of faith are locked together. There's a fellowship that is needed. We need that. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane even wanted the disciples to be close by when he was praying. So fellowship is vital. If you find yourself wanting to pull away and be away from everybody, there are times you need aloneness, but it needs to be limited. You need to be with other people. And then refreshment is the last one. Refreshment. God's mercies are new. How often? We sang about it this morning. Every morning. And that's what I need. Fresh mercy on Monday morning. Fresh mercy on Tuesday morning. Fresh mercy on Wednesday morning. And the only way I can get that and be reminded is I have to read and meditate on the scripture and the faithfulness and the greatness of God. There's no magic. Here's what he tells us in Psalm 107.20. He sent forth his word and healed them. There is a healing element in coming to the scripture. It's food for our soul. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It, rem it reminds me of all the lies the enemy has been feeding me the day before. And it renews my mind. I also pray for refreshment. He tells us with confidence to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need or our time of crisis. God is there to give that to us. And I want to give us another verse from Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not blossom. This is when things aren't going well, by the way. The fig tree is not blossoming. There's no fruit on the vines. The produce of the olive tree fails and the fields yield no food. Though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls. This sounds like major discouragement and depression to me. It's like empty, bank account, zero. But what does he go on to say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Not in my circumstance, but in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. That's the faithfulness of God. That's why we have to come back to him again and again. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. As we do this morning, let me ask you, Maybe you're not in a moment of crisis right now, or maybe you are. What is the foundation for you getting through the crisis? We see the faithfulness of God in the life of Elijah because he sends an angel of the Lord, and this is a theophany. The Bible calls it, it's a theophany, which means it really is the person of God who comes alongside of Elijah and gives him the food that he needs. And he didn't bang him upside the head and discipline him. He actually, the Bible says, the angel touched him 
It was like a gentle, gracious touch and said, here's some food for you. I came to minister to your need. I don't know what your need is this morning. If you have a physical need, an emotional need, a spiritual need, what your crisis is or what your crisis will be in the future. We can walk out this door right now and life is good. But in a few hours, something could happen and life won't be hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, .org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.